Hello to everybody looking at your platypus in your creek. It's beautiful anonymous. It's one hour. It's one phone call. No names. No holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you. And you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gathered here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. A show where we let people tell their own stories in their own words. And one guy sits and listens. And then all the listeners listen too. Because by definition, that's what listeners do. But our listeners are particularly empathetic and kind. And want to hear your stories. Hello. A couple quick things to mention before we get into the episode today. One, Philadelphia. I'm coming to do some shows. September 3rd, 4th, and 5th at the Punchline. There's venues that are figuring out how to do some outdoor shows, socially distanced. I read into the safety requirements before I agree to do any of these. I did some shows in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago. Very meaningful shows provided catharsis for me and the audience. And uh, the Punchline. It's only selling 50 tickets per show. I'll be down there all weekend. We're going to have a bunch of laughs. We're going to keep it safe. Going to be a good time. Maybe I'll see you there if you're in the Philly area. Also wanted to quickly uh, plug a thing a friend of mine is doing. If you like my work and specifically if you enjoyed my public access show, I got a friend named Jake Fogelnest and he was the originator of this. He used to do a show out of his bedroom when he was a teenage boy. And uh, for the first time in, in 20 years, he's releasing a bunch of the old episodes of Squirt TV and he's doing it through Patreon. It's uh, it's good. I mean, he's like a child interviewing the Beastie Boys. It's awesome. And uh, you're going to want to check it out at patreon.com slash Jake Fogelnest. Plug for my buddy. Glad everybody liked the episode last week with the gong show. Here's how I know it was a funny one. My girlfriend from high school contacted me and said she was laughing while driving. And uh, particularly because she kept an, a book of aliases of all the guys she dated. And I wrote back and said, I am terrified to know what my alias was. And luckily, I did not have an alias. So that's good. Hello, Teresa. I uh, always love catching up. Okay, this week's episode is one of the most intense ones we've heard in a long time. This is the story of a mother and a grandmother who had to do everything to look out for her family. And I mean everything. Her daughter wound up in a really messed up, abusive situation. So brace yourself for that. And this is what happens when a family has to unravel a relationship that goes wildly in that messed up direction. Caller had to uproot their whole life, had to spend a ton, a ton of money, had to go to the absolute ends of reason to look out for her kid and her grandkid. It's a really eye-opening, somewhat scary one. That being said, it is a story of hope and a story of family, and I, uh, I hope you get something out of this one. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello, Chris. How are you? I've got to tell you, your voice is one of the most my favorite things in the world. I can't believe I'm hearing it. Well, that's awful nice of you. My, it's a true story. My, my <laughs> voice is one of my least favorite things in the world, so I'm happy no to hear it makes way. you happy. Yeah. Uh, it's a kind voice, and that's important. It's a beautiful voice. Thank you so much. Mm. I like your voice mm. as well, immediately. Well, I hope you can understand it. <laughs> Absolutely. I have had dumb situations where Americans just give me really blank looks um, as I speak and it's it's obvious they can't understand a word I'm saying. I'm shocked by that. Are you so let's uh are we talking Australia, New Zealand, where what are where Australia. I thought yep. so. Down under. Sure. Uh, I I have found um that Austra Americans at least me have very little trouble with the uh, Australian accent. Well, I was living on the other side of America in San Francisco, so mm, mm. Um, mm, they're strange over there, right? <laughs> now, I, the Scottish accent and the Northern Irish accent, God bless you. I hear Those you. Are tough. Crazy. Those are tough. <laughs> they are, aren't they? And the, especially yeah. if they speak really quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, don't, I feel like you don't meet many South Africans on the East Coast of America, but every time I do, I'm like, where? where? I just instinctively, I'm like, where? Why? Where is this from? I know, I'm the same. And, and I'm usually, well, once upon a time, I was really good at accents. I could do accents, but I've never been able to do South African. It's like it's just strange to my ear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do, well, how's yeah. your American go? Can you bust out the American? Oh my God, it's so bad. That's another one I'm really bad at. One of the things I used to do, I would order um, a sub at um, Subway. Mm-hmm. And in Australian, in my normal voice, I would ask her a tuna sub and they'd just look at me. And then I realized I have to say a tuna sub, um, <laughs> six inch. But it, it comes out like some sort of twisted mix between. Um, Texas and something else. It doesn't sound good. But I did learn Australians don't, we're really lazy the way we speak and we don't pronounce our R's. So like, for example, if I go in and and one day I wanted a lighter and to light a candle, right? Do you know what I mean? I will say initially I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same way when we talk about, um, down by the water will say we're going to the harbour, not the harbour. So I learned when I was getting that blank look that I had to really overpronounce my R's. So I said, they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And I said, a lighter. I want a lighter candle. And they're going, oh, a lighter. And I went, well, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I learned that way. Strange. Now, mm. I do want to apologize to you and any listeners noticing this. I have not had power in my house since Tuesday. So I'm running oh a, I'm running a gas generator outside. <laughs> and if you hear a rumble, it'll fade into the background. But if you hear that, that's what that is. Do you like how you I, t- I tied that in? A generator. <laughs> I tied it right into our convo. You sure did. Yep. Yep. Well done you. Oh no, that's a bit harsh. No power. Mm-hmm. We got hit by a tro- mm. tropical storm. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. And that's Jersey you're in, isn't it? Yeah, but it, I, I moved out pretty far. It's pretty, it's like right on the edge of suburban and country. And uh, nice. What, but yeah, but when things, when the infrastructure falters, it, it takes, it's, it's not like New York City where they're like, okay, and everything's back up and running 17 minutes later. It's, uh, <laughs> yes. it's been down since Tuesday and it's not going to be back up wow. until next Tuesday. One oh. week, one week of, Shitty. I had to figure out how to change the oil on a generator today. Well, who is, you got, anybody who's Ooh. listened for a while knows that's not me. <laughs> what? It's not me. Oh, that's very country. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. You've got skills now, man. Um, We'll see. They're going (laughs) to take time to develop. But I'm diving in. Diving in first. I love it. Now, Mm. I'm sure you didn't call today to chit-chat about accents and gas generators. No, but I do love how organic your conversations are. I think I've listened to every one of them. Um, No, I was going to... What struck me was this particular um, experience I had and it involved America. Um, and, yeah, I thought I'd share that with you. So, um, you know, when you have major events in your life and things get categorised into before and after, um, it's one of those kind of huge things that happen. So um, where to start? I'll start at the beginning. So... I, I'll start when the night that it became the before. So I, um, I went to choir. I live in a little town. It's a very small place, little community, and we have this awesome choir. And um, when I got there, everyone was really excited because I'd just returned from America and where my granddaughter had been born. And I was showing photos. And um, I got a text from my daughter and... Just couldn't make sense of it. I stared at it for ages, going, What? And she'd written very cryptically, He's taken her. I couldn't stop him. I've called the police. So, what? Who? What? What? 
So, of course, I rang her straight away and she didn't answer. The only person I could think of she was talking about was her daughter who was three weeks old three and her weeks? husband. Yeah, so her, my daughter was sending me the message and her daughter was three weeks old. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, so anyway, I jumped in the car and I, I came home and I kept ringing her and I kept ringing her and it kept going to voicemail. I sent her messages saying, what's going on? You're terrifying me. What's happening? And after about four hours, she sent me a message saying, I can't talk. The police are here. He hurt me bad. And I was like, where's, where's my granddaughter? He's, we can't find him. We can't find them. And it was a very long night. Oh, my God. It was one of the longest nights of my life. Um, and that's a nightmare not, as a mom. That's a nightmare as a grandmother. Uh, that's an absolute nightmare. You got that right. And then when the details started to come through, she was in an ambulance on the way to hospital. He knocked her out and he was drunk and he'd taken off with her in the car, drunk. And um, he didn't take – she was purely breastfed, didn't take any diapers. And they couldn't find him. So um, I, I kept, you know, saying, it's okay, you know, they'll, they'll, the police can – find him by his mobile phone she said no they can't they they can't they're triangulating it but they can't find the exact location so um anyway it was i think um seven hours and he rang her and said um i'm coming to get you by that stage she'd been released from hospital um and she was with the only person she really had a relationship with in america and that was his ex-girlfriend so um, the police were waiting for him and um, they arrested him. Uh, then the details came out. He, he choked her, threw her down the stairs where she was knocked out, my daughter that is. And my granddaughter was okay but she was, her nappy was, her diaper was really soiled and she was exhausted from, she was well overdue, probably 10 hours that had gone by since her last feed because she was due for a feed when he took her. So, um, yeah, she was, she was okay, but obviously hadn't been cared for in that time that he'd been away. So, um, the nightmare, yeah, sort of continued. Um, we just had this crazy idea, right, well, if he's done something like that, well, just come home, just come home. But of course she didn't have a, um, passport for her daughter. And you need two people to sign for a child's passport. He wasn't going to do that. Right. Mm. So sort of fast-forwarding a bit um, to comp- not complicate matters, but just the way things were at the time. My husband and I, who had been together more than 30 years, had recently separated. Um, but we were living on the same property in different houses. Anyway, he decided he'd go over and get them get my daughter and granddaughter and bring them home while I looked after the farm. So off he went and became apparent fairly quickly that wasn't going to happen. So I went over and we got an apartment and we got a lawyer and we got some mace. <laughs> um, and the saga began and it um, – we learned a whole lot about the American legal system and there's, you know, the family law side of things and there was the criminal side of things. And um, we also found out that he had a long history of violence. Um, there's a thing you can do over there called Truth Finder where you can actually look up people's records. And um, I looked up his and it was aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, theft, DUI. Um, and his previous girlfriend, who became a very close friend, um, she told us that, yes, that was the same sort of thing had happened. And then we got in touch with another girlfriend, girlfriend before her, same thing. He was a man who likes to choke his victims, and I got an education in domestic violence and found out that... Um, not many people seem to know this, but um, 
men who choke their victims are seven times more likely to kill them. So when you were dealing with someone who was a serious offender, um, before I left Australia, one of my really good friends ran a women's shelter for people fleeing domestic violence. So I rang her and said, you know, this is way out of my league. I, I've never dealt with this, not as an adult anyway. Um, what do I do? Give me your advice. And she immediately sent me a, um, a list of, it's a lethality index, so it's a whole lot of questions. You tick the box, yes, no. And if you have more than, I think it was 11 points, then it's a serious risk. Um, maximum, I think, was about 16, and he, he ticked 15 of the boxes. So, yeah, um, things pretty bleak. Um, we hired a lawyer. We got an apartment in San Francisco and um, began the long, 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 arduous task of trying to get home. Um, and he just threw up roadblocks. So he, every time we had court was booked, he would do something to cancel it. Either he didn't show up and we thought, yay, you know, he'll, he'll be jailed. No, that didn't happen. Um, he'd sack his attorney the day before trial. And we'd be put back another six months. He did that twice. Um, and he completely ignored the restraining orders. He didn't know where we were, which was really good. Um, at least he didn't know at first. Uh, he would just keep contacting my daughter constantly and mounted this massive smear campaign on Facebook where he told everybody she had um, postnatal psychosis and that he had been defending himself against her when she went crazy and now she was claiming he hit her and, of course, he would never do that. Um, the really interesting thing was, though, and this is where it felt so insane, the things he was saying, one of the weird things he did, he did this with all his victims, he filmed the incident. He Ooh. filmed it on his phone. So what he would do routinely, they all testified eventually in court, first he would beat them up um, and he would taunt them by calling them horrible names, like really awful names, and telling them they were fat or they were ugly or they were worthless and get them to the point where they were quite hysterical. Then he would turn his phone on and film it and he would say, what's wrong? Hey, honey, I'm just trying to help you. And they would, of course, be, oh, fuck, you know, why are you treating me like this? I don't know what you're talking about. Look, we can get your help. It's okay. And he would then say to them, you know, I've got evidence that you're a crazy bitch. <laughs> However, on this particular night, it really backfired because the video showed he was drunk. It showed her neck was all scratched up and bruised. Well, it wasn't bruised then, but it was all red. Um, he tore chunks of hair out of her head. Um, I think her eye was a bit swollen. Like you could see that she'd been physically attacked and you could tell by his voice that he was drunk. And you could also see at one point, you didn't actually see it directly, but you saw a reflection of him grab her and throw her down the stairs. You saw it reflected in the fridge because he wasn't holding the um, phone particularly well. You know, he was drunk. So, yeah, we had that. And the other thing we had, apparently the violence had begun fairly early in the relationship, which was just awful to hear, you know. Um, and he would say to her the next morning, I don't remember, it was a blackout, you know, I was just too drunk. I'm really sorry, but I don't remember. So she believed him and she started to record the incidents. She knew they were coming because he would start drinking early in the day, he wouldn't eat and start picking at her, you know, something simple like, why do you wear hair like that? Or, you know, what the fuck is this dinner? Like, that's shit. I'm going to eat that shit. Like, it didn't matter. She said it didn't matter. It could be anything. She tried, she was really on eggshells, do anything she could to appease him. But when he was on the way to one of those particular nights, she knew it. 
Um, so she started to record the incidents so that she could say to him, you know how you say you don't remember? Well, this is the sort of thing you say to me. You know, this is the awful kind of stuff. So she recorded six months' worth of him and I heard a bit of it, Chris, and, oh, whoa, how, oh, just, it was just awful. I, yeah. Um, and then one day when he was in a really good mood, she said, you know how you can't remember these nights, these things that happen? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've recorded them. I thought you might want to listen to them. You can imagine how that went. So yeah. he took her phone, you know, gave her a talking to, and um, every time after that in one of these alleged blackouts, he would take her phone from her. But my smart daughter had actually emailed them to herself, some of those sound bites. So she had evidence of the way he spoke to her, the things he did, and often the violence. He had um, at one point got an axe and threatened her with it and smashed a coffee table up in front of her. Um, but uh, anyway, it was a hell of an education, certainly from my point of view. Um, nothing he did was particularly unusual for a predator, um, for a narcissist, which he clearly was. Everything he did was pretty much by the book. Um, he denied. So the, the day after the incident, he sent me a long message saying, I'm really sorry, he must think I'm a monster. Um, it's all my fault. Well, well, no, actually it was alcohol. I'll never drink again. Um, that really quickly morphed from it was my fault and it was the alcohol to, yeah, there was something wrong with your daughter. Um, there was something wrong before the baby was born. Um, she wasn't right in the head. She probably doesn't even know it. You probably don't know it. But, yeah, she she's making this shit up. I would never hurt her. The good thing was he was all in writing um, and you could, when you read them chronologically, it was just the most crazy shit because it went from him saying, you know, it was me to, no, it was her to actually I never did anything, it was all her um, and he did contradict himself quite a bit. He also wrote to a lot of family members in Australia and said, you know, she's crazy, she's psychotic, um, I just want to get her help. I love it a bit, you know. She just needs to stop all this silliness and come back to me and we'll sort it out. Um, meanwhile, telling the world that she was mad and that she was trying to take his child from him to the point we were getting, my daughter was getting messages from women she'd never met calling her a bitch, saying how could you take your child away from this beautiful man? Um, he just loves you so much. She only responded to one of those women and she said, look, I know he's told you a whole lot of stuff but all I'm trying to do is keep um, my daughter and myself safe. That's all that matters. And the woman wrote back, I saw you together. You were like the perfect couple. You're a lying bitch and I hope you rot. And look. We're going to pause there. Why? Because we, we, we have to pause somewhere. It's how the show works. Sometimes we do these and I make like, oh, that, that was a... Let me make a pithy comment about that last thing. I said, nope, I'm not doing that. We take a break. We'll be right back. Break over, everybody. Let's get back to one of the more intense phone calls we've had on this show. And the woman right back... I saw you together. You were like the perfect couple. You're a lying bitch and I hope you rot. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you can, you know, that he was very good at manipulating people and just twisting the truth. Um, yeah, so within a few months he had organised supervised visitation. So we had to take my granddaughter to meet him at a visitation centre. And that was a hell, that trauma. Because over time, um, she's, as she got older, she didn't want to be there and she'd scream and it was my job to pry her fingers off her mother and hand her over to the supervising staff knowing that she was going to spend an hour with someone who'd risked her life and really didn't, she's just an object to him. 
But of course, to the world, he was making out he was a model father, and yeah, it was it was tough. It was really tough. Um, so we we had lots of court cases. I became really familiar with um, inside of a courtroom. <clears throat> he would he brought a few uh, frivolous kind of. Um, cases to court that we had to spend money to defend. Um, he also threatened his ex-girlfriend and said, um, you know, you can't go to court, you just stay out of my business. So she took out a restraining order against him. The next day he took out a restraining order against her and when that went to court the judge just said, look, I'm immediately as suspicious at this retaliatory, retaliatory um, restraining order. What did she do to scare you? And I was there at that court meet, court hearing. It was it was gold because the judge just saw right through him and said, you know, threw that out, threw that out of court and kept the um, ex girlfriend's restraining order. Um, then, of course, we had the situation where um, he found our address. That was because his attorney gave him a piece of paper with um, with our address on it. So the DA called us and whipped us into um, witness protection. That was some um, two years after, like almost two years since. Two years you were in America dealing with this? Two years, yep. Two years of hell. Two years of constant um, harassment from him. It never let up. Um, we got to know the police force they were fucking fantastic i've got to tell you my god i and i wrote them a big letter when we left and said my you guys the first time we reported a restraining order turned up um that was the cop and um he was just fantastic we were really nervous because the um the the, the restraining order was for no, like there was supposed to be no contact um, except to talk about the granddaughter in a peaceful way. But he couldn't stick to that, of course. And he had, you know, gone off and said to my daughter, you know, you, you're not thinking straight. I want you to come back. I love you, all this stuff. But it wasn't threatening violence. So when we reported it, we weren't sure how the police would take it. You know, yes, it was technically breaching the restraining order, but were they going to take it seriously or not? They sure did. He just said, look, no, this is black and white. This guy is not supposed to do this. He's written you a four-letter, four-page bloody letter that's got nothing to do with your daughter. So absolutely we will tell him, you know, he's breaching restraining order. So we got to know quite well because it was nearly a weekly thing, calling him to say, yep, he's done it again, he's done it again. But he didn't face any consequences. Um, when we went through the visitation he would he used to call my daughter a penguin when she was pregnant it was his like pet name for her so he started putting penguin stuffed penguins on his car and at the door of the visitation center you know to send a message to her but that wasn't considered a violation even though it was a direct message to her um yeah so he he just got away with it again and again um there didn't seem to be much that we could do about it. Um, we did find out oh, that was so oh, – I got so angry at this. So there were two – so there's two legal systems we're dealing with. We're dealing with the family court and the criminal court and they, they don't talk to each other. They're completely unrelated. And the family court were the ones that would decide whether we could bring them home to Australia but they refused to see the matter, have it in court, until the criminal matter was over. So he just kept on delaying the criminal. But there are also two restraining orders, one in the family court and one in the criminal. But my daughter never got a copy of the criminal one. So we were acting on the family one. And I think it was about the fourth or fifth violation and it was a different cop and he was quite a stern, unsmiling fellow. And he said, where's the criminal orders? And she said, I don't know. And he said, well, you should. And she said, well, what? I, don't, I don't know really what you're talking about. And he, Anyway, 
he radioed back, he got the information and he said, You're, you should not be having any contact with this man, none, zero zilch. You shouldn't be taking your daughter to visitation because the criminal order says no contact at all and it supersedes the family order. And we were like, um, well, why has nobody told us this? And we found out why. So the criminal order had been mailed to her old address and guess who was living at her old address? Oh, he was. Come on. Yeah. And he never forwarded it. And our lawyer never said anything. Two lawyers we had, the DA on the criminal side and, and our own private lawyer on the family. So that was a brief and wonderful um, respite from visitation and contact. Well, he didn't, <clears throat> sorry, he didn't stop contacting, but at least, um, you know, we didn't have to go to visitation for a little while and we just kept reporting. You know, he would send um, 50 messages in a row, boom, 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 to my daughter, but it was only counted as one violation. So, you know, she'd call the cop, the cop would come and she'd say, you know, he starts sending me a message about messages about an hour ago. Bing, that's message number thirty-two. Bing, thirty-three. Bing, thirty-four. And by the time the cop left, you know, it'd be fifty-two messages. Um. So yeah, we had. I actually, I've written a book on it, um, on our experience, and um, my editor has told me I need to delete most of his messages because they're boring and crazy. <laughs> she said no one will want to read that shit and I said oh yeah yeah, it's really hard to I want people to know what we went through but she said no that's not doesn't make good reading darling um and it was 60,000 words I had to cut that's what he sent over that period 60 Um, that's almost an entire book in its own right it is indeed yep yep so um and it was very repetitious it was very um delusional really <clears throat> he kept on saying you know there's i've done nothing wrong here it's like well mate we've got the video of you throwing her down the stairs we've got pictures her neck went black and blue over the the next week and you're telling me self-defense i, I don't know of anybody who strangles someone in self-defense it doesn't work that way you know he's sick he's over six foot my daughter's nowhere near that um there was a big age difference too. He was more than 10 years older. And, you know, he picked her. They met on the internet. He picked her really well because how easy is it to isolate someone when they're in a country where they have no friends and no family? How long had your daughter been in America before they Not got Not very together? long. Yeah. Oh, well, she wasn't. They met over the internet. He came to America, uh, sorry, to Australia and met us in a kind of a whirlwind week um we saw him for a few days then he went back to america and she went over there for a few months and then announced they were getting married and they were like whoa 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 whoa! you've only known this guy for like less than a year like why why the rush oh you know we're in love red flag in retrospect there was a lot of red flags and i was so determined chris to like this guy I was so determined that, okay, if this is the man my daughter has married, then his family and I'm just going to make sure he knows I love him and I accept him and that's that. And consequently, any kind of niggly doubts I had, any uneasy feelings, I just tamped those right down because, yeah, I was going to be a good mother-in-law. I was going (laughs) to... Yeah, so there were a few little strange things. Like he said he was this famous um, famous in the dog world um, and he was going around doing seminars all around the world. And But when we got over there to where they were living, he was living in a really poor part of San Francisco, one of the most violent areas, in a one-bedroom, very, you know, not a very nice area. There were gunshots at night and stuff when I stayed there when the baby was born. Um, they had these gates that they kept locked. Um, it didn't add up. He had a really old beaten-up car and yet he was supposed to be this super successful guy. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, that's kind of the story. Um, in the end, 
we did live happily ever after. There was a criminal trial. So once he had um, been given this piece of paper with our address on it, the um, DA applied for him to be taken into custody and and brought forward the fact that, you know, by that stage I think he had been so many violations, it was ridiculous. And the judge basically said, yeah, look, it's clear that you don't take any notice of the law, so we remand you in custody until the trial, um, which then gave him incentive to <laughs> actually allow it to go ahead because um, he was in jail. So um, the criminal trial took two weeks and my daughter was on the stand for days. He'd never took the stand, which to me, <laughs> I know it's, you know, Fifth Amendment rights and everything, but, you know, he's the criminal here. Um, I had to take the stand because we had to bring forth all of the, because he never stopped contacting me. He never stopped sending me long, 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 repetitious emails, all saying the same thing. I love your daughter. She's not right in the head. Um, we can sort this out. Just stop doing all of this. Um and we can be a family again and, yeah, various. When we, when, it was a pattern we noticed. So he would send that first and then there'd be no response and then it'd get nasty. He'd say things like, you know, what sort of a person would do this and deprive a good man of seeing his daughter? Um, you know, how dare you? And he'd say, you know, I've only seen her 19 hours in the last number of months and, you know, what sort of awful person does that? Uh, yeah, all, all this I could quote you because reading the book too I had to go back over it all it's just like writing the book so um court was it is like in the movies you know the judge is sitting up there much higher than everyone else you you sit there in the stand looking across at all of these jurors going what's going through your head you know and I was worried they wouldn't understand what I was saying um so I was trying really hard to speak slowly so that because when I'm nervous, I do speak quite fast. And um, anyway, um, the day came when the jury was to give their verdict and my daughter said, Mum, I can't be there. So she stayed at home with her daughter and one of the wonderful things about the American legal system is we were allocated a court advocate Oh, she was an angel. She literally held my hand. She was able to tell every step of the way what was happening. She was just this incredible support. I'll be forever grateful for that woman and for the DA who was just amazing. But um, the day came and we were called in, sitting down, and all of a sudden the back doors opened and I looked to see if it was a jury and, and it was four armed guards and they came down the the middle aisle towards where the our lawyer was and she looked up and said hey what's going on and I could only see the side of his face and he said what do you mean she said why what's going on and she pointed to all the guards and he said oh it's business as usual and winked at her and she got this big smile on her face and so I've said to so I'm sorry the um court uh, advocate, what's what's going on? She said, "Oh, there's a lot more, there's a lot more guards than normal." And I said, "Oh my god, oh my god!" So that must mean he's he's guilty, right? And she said, "Doesn't mean anything." She said, "There was an incident recently where someone was found guilty, and he jumped the um, bench and tried to punch the 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 judge." And I said, "So that's surely that's the only reason?" And she said, "We we don't know. Don't get too excited. Just hang in there." But I was excited. I couldn't help it. I was like, oh, this must, no, no. You know, this self-talk you give yourself, don't get excited. No, it's just, it could just be anything, all that kind of stuff. And the other thing, though, they don't tell you, in the movies, when the um, court clerk reads out, you know, in the charge of aggravated assault, um, blah, blah, and penal code four, five, six, whatever, it's that quick. And then they give you the, the jury, uh, the, the verdict. God, it's so not like that. There's pages of shit they read out. And I'm like, I haven't, haven't been breathing properly. I'm sitting there in the chair going, just get to the point. Is he guilty or not guilty? 
please just get to the point. And eventually she did. And there were two counts. One was child endangerment and one was um, domestic, the domestic violence, the assault charge. First one, guilty. Second one, guilty. Um, nice. Yeah. Let me go ahead and say this, nice. Nice. <laughs> and the funny thing was I'd been pretty pretty strong up until that point. I lost it in the courtroom. I My legs went to jelly. I started sobbing. I was hysterical. And it was so, I was so not ready for that response. And poor was trying to kind of catch. <laughs> We're still in court. Come on, hold it together. And I couldn't. So she had to more or less pick me up and take me out of the court. It was just such a relief. Um, and as all of the jurors filed out, I just said, thank you, thank you. And, and the other thing I said to them, you only got such a small amount of evidence because, and this is, this is going to shock you, I would imagine, because it sure as hell shocked me. When they decide what evidence can be given in court, there was so much. They said, no, we can't have that, we can't have that, we can't have that. And you know why? Because it was too inflammatory. So if he said something like, I'm going to smash your head open like a pumpkin and it was a recording, the judge said, no, we we can't let the jury hear that. So a lot of the very bad things that he said and did to her was never, never came out in court because the idea being if the jury hears that, they will assume he's guilty. Well, no shit. That's because he is. Yeah, that's evidence. That that's what evidence, evidence is meant to do. Yeah, yeah but if it's evidence. That, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, no, a lot of the evidence, the really heavy, awful stuff was denied. We couldn't, our, our um, attorney wasn't allowed to present it because it would influence the jury and make them think that he had done this. And, <laughs> yeah, they would because he had, but that, that was really, that really did not sit well with me. I thought that's, surely that also means they're not given all the information. They weren't allowed to be told that he had previous DUI convictions because another that would be another reason for them to think that. Um, oh, the other thing, when, so he wasn't given a sobriety test by the cops when he came back with on the night when he came back with our granddaughter because he didn't appear drunk. Well, of course he didn't. He'd been out for seven hours. And the reason he'd been out for that long was because he was pissed and he didn't want them to see it. But the, his lawyer used that, kept saying, you know, he wasn't drunk. Who says he was drunk? Well, he did in the message to me. He went and got a tattoo of the date of his sobriety. And she's trying to say it was also midnight when he when the incident happened that he went and took a sleeping baby out of her bed. And they were trying to say that he wasn't drunk. And on the stand, when they were cross-examining me, his um, lawyer was saying, um, you have no evidence that he was drunk, basically. Let's pause there. This is driving me nuts. Let the evidence stand. Let's do it. Oh, God, I'm ripping my hair out. I'm going to take a break. You should take a break, too. We'll be right back. It's over, everybody. Let's finish off the phone call. His um, lawyer was saying, um, you have no evidence that he was drunk, basically. Um, there's nowhere in there that he says he was drunk. And um, anyway, I, I ended up saying it was 11.30 or 12 at night and he's a self-confessed alcoholic who isn't drunk at that time at night when they've been drinking. And they had it struck, strike that from the, from the records, you know. Jury's not supposed to take any account of that. And I was like, what about his tattoos? What about his, his messages to me where he says it's the alcohol? Well, it says it was the alcohol, but it didn't say it was drunk. You know, that kind of thing, typical lawyer shit. Um, anyway, uh, then we came down to sentencing. And he was given three years with the non-parole period of 14 months 
and he was out in 11 months. That's it? That's all you get for effectively kidnapping a child? It's 11 months? <laughs> that and, like, his two ex-girlfriends took the stand and told, you know, all about the number of times he'd choked them, assaulted them, abused them physically, sexually, financially, socially. He's a predator and he had been doing that. It was a pattern of behaviour, um, but he still didn't get the maximum time. And the reason the judge didn't give him maximum was because he had two little flying monkeys. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. But, um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a whole language around narcissism when you start reading about it because they, like I was saying, they have this typical pattern. So what they do is they recruit people to do their dirty work to be there, um, and it's based on the Wizard of Oz movie. Apparently the Wicked Witch sent out these flying monkeys. Yes, that's and the only what, context in which I'm familiar with flying monkeys. It's Wizard of yeah, Oz. Yeah, well, he had a chief flying monkey, and she routinely would write to <laughs> saying things like, um, and we're pretty sure he wrote it, but she would send it via her email, saying things like, well, you know, <laughs> this one really made us both laugh. Well, what if he finds another woman? How are you going to feel when the, when the other woman's got this perfect life? Concerned and, for um, her. Yeah, that's the answer. Exactly. Severely concerned for her. <laughs> that's precisely what we said. Heartbroken for this poor woman and what she's got to go through. So this woman, um, to this day, um, still supports him. Um, continuously, she would write to me as well and say, look, you know, can't they – can't we just put this all aside? He's, he's a changed man. Um, but, yeah, she, didn't, she was also a witness in the court, so she didn't get to see a lot of the evidence because when you're a witness, you can't see other people's testimony. You mm -hmm. can't talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she only had what he was telling her and, of course, that would be a very skewed version of events. Um, but she stood up in court and said he was a wonderful man, that she'd been living with him for the last two years. Um, she's about my age, by the way, so we don't think it was a physical relationship, but maybe it was, who knows? Um, and yeah, he was, he was sober. He was kind. She'd never seen any indication of violence or anger issues. Yeah. He was just this model citizen. So, um, thanks to her, he didn't get the maximum sentence and yeah, she's still his chief flying monkey to this day. So tomorrow, today actually, I get the joyous duty of Skype visits with him and my granddaughter because that's what the court ordered once a week. So you're, and your daughter doesn't have, your daughter's off the hook. No, she doesn't. She is. She's, um, yeah. She um, still has an active restraining order. And since he's, um, she's since written a book of her own and it's completely, uh, it's a non-fiction book on a particular aspect of dog training and um, she's a really, really good dog trainer and she's got a thriving business. She's doing very well here. But, of course, immediately he started contacting people in Australia, telling them that she was um, going to be going to court. He was going to take her to court. That was the other thing that he threatened all the way through, that he was going to charge her with domestic violence and he was going to charge her with theft. He impersonated a police officer um, at one point because we were struggling financially. It cost us um, more than half a million dollars in those two years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, well, that was, you know, accommodation, food, legal yeah. fees. And I had to fly back to Australia frequently to meet the visa requirements. So, yeah, it was um, full on. And, yeah, he, he would often claim that, he was going to take her to court and he was going to charge her and he was going to charge me and he was blah, blah. And he still does it. He's, he actually, my daughter had a seminar booked and he wrote to the person who um, she was going to be presenting, wrote to the business owner who had hired her and said, you know, you shouldn't deal with her. She's a, um, she's a liar. She's a, a dangerous woman. She's unstable mentally. And, of course, you know, I'd love to say we could charge him with slander or, you know, something like that, but it's almost impossible. 
he's still violating the restraining orders now. My daughter's rung the police who say, well, yeah, well, contact the court. And the court says, no, nah, no, nah, you have to call the police. So she hasn't even been able to file all the restraining orders since we've gone back, come back to Australia. And no chance of bringing any kind of a um, slander or anything like that against him. So just, and he's gotten on Amazon, given her book some one out of five reviews. And his chief flying monkey even used her own name to leave a one out of five review. Um, all the others were fours and fives. But, yeah, so we're still dealing. But the good news is because he's a convicted felon um, and his sentence was more than 12 months, he can never come here to Australia. Nice. Once again, nice is my response to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we have about 13 minutes left. Oh, that went quick. Mm. Yeah. it's. I mean, that was an epic tale. Truly epic tale. I'm so sorry you went through all of that. You and all, every member of your family. Have some questions if that's okay. Please, yes. Okay. Because I've been taking notes the whole time. And you were so quiet. I was aware that I was... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Thank you for letting well, me spill those beans. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not trying to jump in and interrupt that story. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to let you get it out there. So a couple things. Um, first, some logistical questions. I got to get all these questions in, in 13 minutes. So when you said that, you know, because I know that from having a son that um, we both have to be present to get him a passport... I'm very, very shocked that there's not a failsafe in place for that in situations of domestic abuse. Um, and oh, it's also, between, well, between that and you having to go back and forth for the visas, I'm, I'm also wondering, like, does the Australian embassy get involved at some point? Because passport stuff, visa stuff, it feels like that's a place where they could help you too. The Australian embassy were the opposite of helpful. They were so difficult to deal with. In the end, we got an American passport because they were so, oh, my God, I can't even tell you. And as to there being a fail-safe, it's actually the opposite. If we had have managed to get a passport somehow and take my granddaughter and my daughter um, home, she would have been charged with child abduction under the Hague Convention. So that's another hour conversation that there are many women in my daughter's situation who didn't have family who could afford to support her, who could, you know, go through the legal system. They become homeless and the child is given to the abuser. Whoa. It's a whole other thing that I could tell you about. It's horrific. There is, it's all over the world. If you marry somebody from another country and you go there and he can beat you black and blue, but if you jump on a plane and go home to your home country, you will be charged with child abduction and you will be flown back and face court. And more often than not, it doesn't, they don't take into account domestic violence. And do you so need- it, it, I know that sounds insane, but that's the reality. And do you feel like that's, um, I mean, you say it happens all over the world, but do you feel like that's almost like... Um, it feels a little bit like countries lean towards the home team advantage of they're going to give more of a chance to their resident than to the the foreign resident. It, do it does f- depend on the yeah, it depends on the country. Um, there's yeah, there's been some awful, awful stories of um, people being forced to go back and being murdered by their perpetrator. Um, and the Hague Convention is really outdated. It doesn't recognise domestic violence and, and safety for the child or the other spouse. All it recognises is equal parental rights regardless. That seems like like not, not in the top list of priorities in situations like this of protecting parental rights first. Seems like that's something you sort out once, once everybody's safe, especially a three-week-old baby. Oh, yep, you're singing to the choir here. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I, there's no world in which I say that and expect you to go. Well, actually, I do think differently <laughs> on that. One. Actually, actually, on that one, I kind of see his point. There's no world in which I expect you to say that. It's just these reactions I'm having. Um, yeah, I want to ask you, sort of, from the emotional side, and 
this is a question that could go in either direction or which it, it you it, you might actually go it doesn't really work like that but does this scare you slash hurt you slash all those emotions does it do those things for, do you feel more affected as a mother or as a grandmother or is it a mix of both do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, that mama bear thing rears up for sure, um, and it was equal, I think. Um, maybe maybe even a little bit more for my vulnerable granddaughter, like she was defenseless and, you know, that the injustice of it all was the most, the hardest thing I think to deal with and the constant exposure to his nastiness and the lack of support um emotionally it was extremely draining the high adrenaline for two years basically because every time the phone gave a little you go oh here it goes and sure enough it'd be him um the yeah oh you know, it was a roller coaster and the number of times we'd think we're finally going to get to court and he would do something to make sure it didn't happen um it was exhausting it was traumatic um having to listen to my not too but occasionally was giving talking to the da um some recordings of her screaming for mercy and that's like a ptsd thing for me i i can't ever really um you'd know as a father like hearing child scream and knowing that the man who was supposed to love her was inflicting not just physical, but extreme psychological nastiness on her all the time. And he would make sure that she put Facebook posts up saying what a great guy he was and how happy she was with him. And if he didn't, if she didn't do that, you know, she'd cop it. So that when it did hit the fan, people were disbelieving, going, oh, you seemed like the perfect couple. Yeah, funny that. That's And she, and that was the other reason, like, a lot of people, why didn't she leave? Well, she became an illegal immigrant because they were applying for, I don't know, the spousal, you know, being a wife of an American. And he kept refusing to give her his tax return so they couldn't complete the application. So she was technically an illegal immigrant. And he would tell her that if she tried to leave, that ICE would get her, the immigration control, and she would be put in like a Guantanamo Bay situation and it would take them ages to process it. So she believed that and she felt there was no escape. So like using actual human trafficking techniques where you hear about these human traffickers who take someone's passport from them and say, well, now you're stuck here and now your passport's expired and we're not going to, it's, I mean, Mm. I, a couple things I want to get on record. First, the statement, uh, and then, Another another question. The statement I want to say is, I, I have to say, hearing you say that there was one cop, I think you said, um, hearing that did you write, hearing that the DA, that the court advocates, I have to say, um, it is it is it is both strange and in some ways a, a, a relief to hear about someone who has had. Um, positive experiences with, with the powers that be in the American justice system right now. Cause it's not a thing. I think uh, there's so much venting of the, other, so I'm like, Oh, thank God. Oh, for, yeah. Thank God for. Okay. There's oh, some good ones out there. Yeah. All of them were great. One of them was a bit, the one who said, you know, the criminal, where's the criminal? He was a bit abrupt and not very friendly, but he still did his job. Um, the rest of them were just fantastic. They made us feel safe. That was the most important thing. They would often, as they left, they'd say, don't you hesitate. Don't you hesitate to contact us anytime. Mm. And that meant the world. There was one stage where there was an active shooter in our street. Um, How much <laughs> do you have to put up with? <laughs> it was just there's a fucking helicopter outside of our apartment with the Bloody this guy yelling, you know, with the big bullhorn going, remain in your apartment. Do not leave your buildings. That's embarrassing as an American. 
That, I yeah, feel like that's like the nightmare, like the stereotype. Don't go to America. It's going to be an active shooting on your street. And then it happens for you. Well, the guy had actually killed his partner and then gone and he had a shotgun and he was sitting at surf station on the corner of our block, um, which, and we're in a really safe part of by the way. Um, but this stuff still happens. So yeah, no, we did. We did really have a wonderful, um, experience with the police and with the DA. She was our champion. That's, mm. that is a, uh, I think for many of us Americans listening, probably a moment of like, oh, a glimmer, a glimmer of positivity. That's good. And it's, here's another, so one of the moments that I, I think probably a lot of listeners had a moment like myself, and I didn't want to interrupt, you just sort of offhandedly at one point said, you know, he was really pretty uh, big in the dog world. And I, I think all of us in unison probably thought, wait, did she say dog world? And But I didn't want to interrupt this the story. And then you mm. talked about how your daughter works in that world. So connecting the dots, he's 10 years older. It's shocking to me. And tell me if this is one of those situations, because I've seen it happen in comedy and you hear about it everywhere. These abusers and these master manipulators who figure out a way to be a big fish in a very specific subculture or a very small pond where in one corner of the world they can have high status and the rest of the world doesn't necessarily care about that world on a large level. But within that world, now this guy's able to manipulate people. Is that part of the romance that swept your daughter up of like, Oh, this guy who's into what I'm into. Yeah. These. Oh, very much. She's so, she's, yeah, she's only I, – I actually used to say I don't think my daughter will ever get married. She'd have to meet somebody who was equally obsessed with dogs because she was from a very early age. She read every book, watched every video, completely obsessed. And it was really – and it's still to this day is her main topic of conversation. She has a T-shirt that says introverted but willing to talk about dogs. And it is so true. <laughs> hmm. So then so, yes. this guy comes along, sweeps her off her feet, says all the right things, gets her in a different country, yeah. puts her in a position where she's defenseless and has no community, and yep. it's game on for this. I don't, I don't know if he would be diagnosed as a psychopath, sociopath, I don't know, but something. He's definitely one of those pathologies. I don't know either. I used to swing between sociopath, narcissistic Ooh. personality disorder, be, but regardless, be, yeah, he's evil. Beware the people who mm-hmm. become the big shots in a Indeed. small corner of the world. I saw it. I, 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 uh, I came up in a very small corner of the comedy community where I, I could have been that guy. And I'd like to think that I didn't use my status for ill, but I saw it. Oh. You see it. Yeah. And yep. it's messed up and you do your best to stop it and call it out. I'll just say, people, ask the questions. The people saying, you know, how can you deprive this man of time with his daughter? Why weren't they asking how? Like what the the law was depriving him. Why didn't they just probe a little bit deeper? Don't, Don't be, if one dude says, hey, I never heard her, hey, I'm a great guy, just question it. Now, question it. Of course, of course. And, and at the very least, at the very least, recognize that someone in there is lying. Someone in there is struggling with something and it's at the very least no longer healthy. So don't be the person who goes, go back to it. What's wrong with you? Something's broken. So even if you're Mm -hmm. not sure who to believe, why encourage it to continue? Because somebody's, somebody's lying. So figure that out first and protect the person who needs protection. Good point. Yep. Now we've only got about 20 seconds left. So I do want to say thank you. This is an intense story to share. Not easy to live. So glad you're okay and your daughter's okay. And I think obviously, um, thank God your granddaughter had a support system because maybe, um, maybe uh, this guy won't have as much of a chance to mess her up long term. And that's because you and your family teamed up and, and that's, uh, that's it, what a, what a deep sigh of relief it, it makes me take thinking about that. Oh, 
Glad to hear it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing that one. That's that's uh, that's one of the most intense ones in years. <laughs> it was an intense experience. We're happy now. We're living a great life. My granddaughter runs around, feeds the chooks, eats vegetables out of the garden. She's a happy, healthy, fantastic kid. Did you say feeds chucks? Oh, chooks. We call chickens chooks over here. <laughs> chooks. I thought the cop. I thought the cop moved with you, and your granddaughter feeds him. <laughs> yeah, chooks. Like a, like a we baby got seventeen bird. chickens, and she feeds them and collects the eggs. And yeah, she's oh. yeah now, surrounded with love. See, and I, I okay, we're going long, but I do have to say. Yeah, sorry. Well, no, it's it's all good. But the you know, hearing that you're running around with animals, that in my mind, I think Australia, and I think there's animals everywhere. So you're you're validating that one. <laughs> I'm just we've surprised. got a platypus in the creek, and we've got five dogs. <laughs> you got a platypus in your creek? Oh yeah, I see it nearly every day. Ooh, I mm-hmm. just let out a shiver. Those things freak me out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, maybe I'll see yeah. one someday. Change my tune. Well, no, I'm sorry, gorgeous. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for talking. And I'm, I'm glad everybody turned out relatively okay. Yeah, we're, we're thriving. We are. Good. Yeah. And thanks for listening. It's been an absolute joy to chat to you. Caller, once again, that's not an easy story to share. And you broke it down every step of the way. It's terrifying. And I just want to say, you may have helped some people. And if anybody out there is listening and you are a victim or you feel like you're being put in a situation uh, that you need to escape from, please hear this story. Understand that in this case, the authorities did help. And that if you're being manipulated into thinking that there's more danger in getting out of there, you just heard a story where that was very untrue. So I really hope that anyone out there who needed to hear this, hears this. Caller, thanks for sharing it. Thanks to Jared O'Connell and Anita Flores in the booth. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. If you're someone who just checks in with the show and you know listens based on the on the title each week, it would help so much if you subscribe right now. So it, it would be a huge favor to me. If you want to hear the back catalog, stitcherpremium.com slash stories for more details. 